Hello, it's Andrew May, and welcome to the Performance Intelligence Podcast, Bite Size Edition. This is where we take a clip from a previous podcast and amplify it for you in a snack-sized format. Before we start this episode, I wanted to take a quick moment to ask a favor of you. Please open the podcast app you're listening on right now and hit the follow button. This really supports us growing the podcast and also helps continue to produce high-quality conversations around high performance. You listen to us and we want to listen to you. So please also consider leaving a rating and review. Tell us what you love about this episode and what you'd like to hear more of. Give us some feedback as it really does make a difference to what we're doing behind the scenes. Optimize performance through adapting your physical, psychological, and emotional state. Nazare is home to the biggest surfable waves on the planet. So it was a no-brainer for Aussie professional parasurfer Matt Formston to head to Portugal. But the one thing you need to know about Matt is he only has 3% vision. At five years of age, when Matt lost his vision, doctors and teachers told him he would never, repeat never, play sport and that his career aspirations were over. Matt didn't listen and he has defied the odds ever since. Matt tells us the tale of surfing the world's most dangerous waves, coming in at 50 to 60 kilometers per hour on this week's Bite Size Edition, which is from episode number 53. Matt explains how he learned to surf as a kid through sound, feel, and energy, and the preparation involved putting together a world-class team. Every time I catch up with this guy, whether it's at a corporate cycling event or just catch up for a podcast or even catch up for a coffee when he's in Sydney, the word that comes to mind is the Latin word inspirare, which is inspiration. So how did you then turn that into surfing Nazare? Because that like, it, it's one of the world's biggest waves. It is the other biggest wave in the world. All the world records are set there. Off yeah. the coast of Portugal. It's the one that everyone sees with the lighthouse and just charging waves. And I believe the wave that you caught, toe-in surfing, was the equivalent of a five-storey building. One of the waves, yeah. I surfed there for three days. Um, and yeah, the last there was the last day was quite big. It was a really big swell. So it was, yeah, about 15 metres. Reverse engineering again. You go, right, I'm going to surf Nazare. You surfed around the world. You said you like big waves. You would then have had to have got a team together. Mm-hmm. You'd have to get used to toe-in surfing. Talk us through all that. So yeah, I always like bigger waves because even though – that's the one thing for me. Like, yeah, there's oh, big and there's there's Nazarite, mate. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, but you build capacity, right? So when I was a little kid, I was five years old. My mum, dad would take me out on my bodyboard and push me into waves, and I learned how to feel riding a wave on a bodyboard. And then he and then he let me start paddling out. So I'd started listening and, and, and duck diving by sound, hearing the wave coming towards me, and then feel the feel of the because the wave sucks as it comes towards you because the water moving towards the shore is not it's not the same water that's out the back. It's just it's kinetic energy that's moving through the water and then the water just gets displaced as the energy travels through it. So as the wave, when you duck dive and people that commentate that see me duck, they're like, he looks like he can, he's duck diving better than the sighted guys, but I'm doing it by feel, whereas they're doing it by see, trying to time it with the seeing the whitewash. I can feel when the wave's sucking the energy and I, that's when I duck dive, so I use the feel. So it's more efficient. So I built that capacity. I started building this bodyboard when I was one foot. I started bigger and bigger and bigger waves. And when it's bigger, it's easier for me. Like, and I walked through a car park. I walked in here today. I can smash my shins on everything and trip, knock things over and break things and hurt people and whatever. In the in the surf, I fall. I fall off. It's like you falling off. I'm just in water. And as long as I'm fit enough and strong enough to handle that beating, 
and so it's freedom for me. I can actually be as reckless as anyone else, whereas I can't do that skiing or snowboarding or spot riding on a single bike because, you know, if you run into a tree at speed or go off a cliff, it's there's a very bad outcome. So built that capacity. I wanted to surf bigger and bigger waves. My, um, my, my shaper that makes my boards, Dylan Longbottom, who's one of the best big wave surfers in the world, we were all talking about what waves in Australia I could surf that were, you know, bigger waves with Schiffstern's Bluff and a, f- a few other different waves. And I'd been training myself for bigger and bigger waves and I'd surfed, you know, probably 20 to 30 foot face waves in Australia. But they don't, we don't get 50 foot face waves in Australia. So I was actually, you know, sitting down with, we're making a film at the moment about my, my journey and specifically about my big wave surfing. Called The Blind Sea out, I think, early next year. Is that right? I think so, yeah. Early February at this stage. I can't wait to see that. Yeah. I really can't wait to see it. So the boys set me up. So it wasn't my idea to go to Nazare. So the director, they were filming an interview for that and they said, oh, and um, Dylan kept calling me and I said, I'll just call him back after the interview. And they're like, no, 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 just take it now. It's okay, take it now. And they had another camera at the other end. I didn't know this. And so they're filming and he, and he says, Maddie, what do you think about surfing Nazare? And I was like, and they were waiting for this whole like, oh no, no, deal. I don't, no, I don't want to surf that place. And it's really, yeah, let's not do that. I was like, just glowed. I was just like, oh my god, let's go, like absolutely. And so for the director, it wasn't good because he didn't get that drama he was looking for. But I was like, okay, I'm locked in. And then from there on, we built the team out and worked out. I, I mean, I've done towing a lot. Of, I've done a lot of towing before, but. Nazare is very different. So we would normally tow using... Now, just explain to people listening who don't understand towing. Yeah, yeah. You've got a guy or a girl on a jet ski. It's like you're water skiing behind. You've got a rope and then you're on a surfboard. So they're towing you in speed because yeah. those big waves, with a 50-foot face wave, you can't paddle fast enough. No. So you've got to go in accelerated behind a jet ski and then you let go. Yeah, so I was letting go of the rope over in Nazare at, at about 65 kilometres an hour. And then I was getting faster going down the wave. <laughs> I, I just do not know what to say about that. And look at you, you're just laughing and shaking oh, your head. Yeah. 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 Are you planning an upcoming conference or company offsite? For the past 15 years, I've averaged speaking at over 50 events each year, and I still love presenting at conferences as much as I did when I first started. To explore the different presentations I offer on a range of topics and themes, including physical and psychological well-being, becoming burnout-proof, connection and belonging. That's a new area I'm, I'm really enjoying presenting on. Neuroscience and behavior change, mental skills and leadership and culture. Or if you'd like to understand our fully integrated conference experience with pre-event diagnostics, activities throughout the agenda, including a morning wake-up, energy breaks, team-building activities, and digital resources to embed learning. To find out more information and to download a brochure, go to andrewmay.com keynotes. Well, I got a quote. When asked about this after you said it felt amazing, you're you're a surfer, right? You should have been like, it felt fucking amazing, woohoo! Yeah. I'm, I'm also it, a businessman. Yeah, yeah. yeah true. <laughs> it felt amazing. Good point. I've done a lot of different things in my life that have been big tasks, but this one was particularly special. My wife and kids are happy I came home in one piece. The speed was between 50 to 60 kilometers an hour. Normally, I have 1% vision in one eye and 3% in the other eye, but it becomes zero vision at that speed. So it's about feeling the wave, the board, and my front foot. Beautiful. 
So we built the team out and the part that was we didn't know was how do we like – because you can say go or no because I can't see the wave. So from the lighthouse, people get to Nazare and they go, nah, not into that. Look, They see the wave. They go there to surf it and they look at it and they go, no way, I'm not doing that. I can't do that. So the guys had to make that decision for me whether I was capable of doing that or not because I can't see it. So the only time that I know how big the wave is is when I get to the bottom of it. But then the next part is as a sighted person where you're on the rope, you can look down the wave and go, nah, and, and just hold on to the rope and stay on the back of the jet ski. I can't do that either. So the, the we worked out the blow the, the blow the whistle. And Dylan had said to me before we he got a, he nearly died there a few years ago, and he'd let go of the rope and didn't commit to a wave, and the next wave landed on his head. Um, so he's like, if we if we blow the whistle, so the, we got a big orienteering whistle which was really loud. If we blow the whistle, you go and you drive the wave as far as you can because if you don't if you if you try and if you kick out and shoot and shot to go, and the next wave comes and gets you. That's when things go go really bad. Yeah, so we that, we did that using that, and the, originally the first couple of waves they sent me wide on the wave, which means further away from the, the whitewash, and they noticed that I wasn't because I was going so fast I couldn't feel when I was at the bottom of the wave. So they blew the whistle a second time, and that's when I started my bottom turn. And then they blew the whistle a third time. So as we got to the bigger and bigger waves, and they were pushing, and they were sending me deeper and deeper, closer into the, the, the impact zone, we got really good. And that, so Lucas Chumbo, who's one of the, probably the best big wave surfer in the world was my tow driver um, and he would ride the, the crest of the wave. He could look over the crest of the wave on the jet ski. After he'd whipped me in, after I let go, he, would have the, he was my, my tow rope. He was watching over the corner, then he'd blow the whistle to steer me, like remote control me across the wave. And then I had two other jet skis with my safety. People say I was really risky, like you could kill this blind guy, it was very dangerous. But there's, for anyone that knows me and you put at least, you know, from listening to this podcast, nothing I do is, there's no, there's no, there's no, nothing's been left to, to question. You know what I mean? We had, we dotted every I and crossed every T, and and then capacity-wise, I had trained in the pool, learning to breathe. So I didn't do a lot of surfing leading into Nazare. It was more about my physical strength in the gym, and my, and what, so I didn't break my back because you can break your back if you hit the wave. There's so much force in the wave. So it was all about my my physical strength and then my breath capacity. Yeah, I read that about the breath work. Yeah. Did you train with anyone? I trained did with you? a few different people. Did you, uh, Nam Baldwin, because he does a bit with surfers. Did you he do work with Nam? I didn't do work with Nam. I did it with a few different. I worked with a guy that does Lucas, who does. Uh, he trains a lot of the. He trains the Australian freediving team. He taught me all of my mental capacity and a lot of the 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 long strength capacity. And then I worked with a guy called Dwayne, who has has taught a lot of the big, specifically around big wave surfing. So there was two components to that breath work for me. It wasn't just about one person that gives me like a rounded approach. I needed to be the best. It's like back going back to my footy days. I needed to be able to be have a better breath capacity than all the best big wave surfers in the world because they can see. So I got to a point where I could hold my breath longer than I think all the other big wave surfers. So how long can you hold your breath underwater? Oh, not now, but just for when just when I went to Nazareth, I could hold my breath for about six minutes. Six minutes. Five, five minutes. 47, I think it was my longest, yeah, for single breath. I don't know what to say on that. That's ridiculous. Well, I didn't, but, but I didn't I also, know that was a thing until I, started, until I did it. Yeah, but but look, I know people can train up to, what, seven, eight minutes. Oh, 10. Long ten. Free, divers, free divers, yeah, yeah. Free divers, yeah. They can get, but yeah, very low low heart rate, whereas for me it was that, was, that was a low heart rate breath hold, but I had to learn high heart rate stuff so it's because it's lacked because when you, you let go of a rope on a 50 foot wave you don't have low heart rate so it was learning how to control my breath at high heart rate and it was, there was lots of varied training but i knew when i got there and dylan and all the team that were there with me knew that i had the physical component of of my training and how hot what level i was at so they were all really confident around sending me into those waves take a big breath for me 
Breathe out slow. And when I ask you about Nazare and what you've achieved, what do you feel? There's two parts to it. I, I feel all the all the achievements that I've had in sport. I don't really feel like I just feel like well I earned it. Like I did the work. I don't feel like oh that's amazing because I did it. I lived it. I did it, and I knew I could do it. So it's not like it's not a revelation to me. Even though other people think it's amazing, I just think well that's just my life, and I chose to do it, and I did it. But the main thing for me that I didn't know was going to be a big thing about Nazare was the sense of inclusion. So having a disability in my whole life, I haven't always been included in things and you know even though I'm a public figure and I've done some crazy stuff in sport and I get sponsored by amazing companies and I've got you know I've got this brand you don't always feel included you, and, and I, I can go into a club and everyone's talking but I can't you guys all lip read even though you don't know that you don't do it everyone's lip reading I can't I'm not able to get that information so all of a sudden I'm not included because it's it's really hard for me to be part of that conversation going out around the the head the so you go out of the the, the harbour at Nazare and come around the headland to where the waves are I've got Dylan Longbottom on a ski. I'm on the back of a ski with, with Lucas Chumbo. I've got, you know, the best big wave guys in the world. It's like a special forces mission going out on these jet skis, skipping across the water. And they're going, they're taking me out. They've donated their time to take me surfing. And that sense of inclusion and and the trust that they've got, that they, they know, that, you know, for them to take me out in those waves and, like, their, their brand's at risk, right? They kill the blind guy. They're, that will ruin their, their professional surfing career. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a lot of risk for them, but it's not, not knowing that that wasn't a risk for them because they knew that I'd trained and I'd done the work and I'd earned the right to surf Nazare. That sense of inclusion from those guys, that's, that's the achievement for me. Hi again, it's Andrew, and I hope you really enjoyed that episode. We would appreciate if you helped to amplify the Performance Intelligence podcast by sharing episodes with your friends and with your colleagues by going to iTunes and leaving a rating and review. This really does help get the message out to a wider audience, and I love reading the comments as well. If you'd like to know more about booking me as a speaker at your next annual conference or company offsite, or purchasing one of the books I've written, including Matchfit, or if you'd just like to receive my monthly e-newsletter, which is called the AM Edition, that has stacks of information specific to all things human performance, go to andrewmay.com. And we'll see you on the next edition of Performance Intelligence.